and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. You guys know 2021, we had a prophetic phrase, transform. It's on the walls, it's on our graphics. And leadership felt like this theme was whispered to the heart of Destiny Church as a foretelling of what God was doing and what he was going to do through the entirety of the 12 months, but maybe even beyond as well. And I hope, you know, this morning during rallying, we, during rally, we talked and kind of discussed how have you seen transformation? How do you feel like you personally, last week I challenged you, sit down with your spouse, sit down with your kids, sit down with your friends, sit down with your coworkers who you come to church with and ask each other, how have you experienced transformation this year? Because it's cute to come in and talk about it every week. It's cute to come in and pray for it every week. But how have we actually experienced transformation Or are we going into December of 2021 the same exact way, the same spiritual maturity, the same spiritual depth, the same biblical knowledge, the same intimacy with Jesus that we had in January of 2021? Does December look any different? If you haven't, I encourage you. Have some conversations. Ask. You know, it'd be a good dinner conversation, good lunch conversation. How have you experienced transformation this year? And what did the Spirit reveal and develop in you? And, you know, this isn't in my notes, but I I talked a little bit about it in Rally too, is you got to think, even the scriptures refer to God as the potter and us as the clay. And to create a masterpiece, to transform something, to develop it into an image, takes pressing and crushing, takes water and elements So as you reflect on 2021, don't be surprised when 2021 was a little more difficult or you walked through some things. Actually be encouraged that God heard your prayer to be transformed and that's what he's doing in it and through it. Can we say amen for that? I think it's important that, you know, we don't just open up the year with this theme and this phrase and then never revisit it. So I love that we're concluding our year talking about transformation. We're in week two of a series titled Transform, Cradle, Cross, and the Crown. And I pointed out last week, you'll see in many of our graphics, you see these three little symbols up at the top of a lot of our transform graphics. And these images, they not only tell the story of the gospel, but they're symbolic of the transformation process that Christ makes way for us to experience. These three images set the framework of this entire series. And as we visit each symbol, we reflect on what it tells us about God and also what it means for us as individuals. What's the significance in these three symbols? So last week, the majority of the message was spent lingering, patiently reflecting on the gravitas, the grandeur, the majesty, the extravagance of our God. We read in Job, he sets the boundaries of the sea. Wow. We, we read in Romans, the earth is so full of his glory, we're, we're without excuse for not knowing him. And it'd be mightily important, I'd suggest even imperative that we recognize who God is first in that way so we can capture the full significance of Christ crying in the cradle. That same God crying in a cradle. Significant. 
This is what Paul was talking about when he wrote in Philippians, Christ gave up divine privileges for you and for me. It's incredible display of the humility of God, but also us starting to break into the vast love that he has for us. As you reflect on Christ in the cradle, you can't help but experience thanksgiving. And this is what we remember and celebrate and acknowledge on Christmas. But today we turn our gaze from the cradle to the cross and we look at the cross We're going to sort through and we're going to unpack. What does the cross tell us about God? What does it mean for us? And and how is the cross catalytic to our own transformation? So our key passage this morning, it's found in the Gospel of Matthew. And this specific passage is actually taken while Christ himself is hanging on the cross. Let's go Matthew 27, verse 45. It says at noon... Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted again and released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're here to bring you glory and praise, to fix our eyes on you, prepare our hearts to receive your word. I pray that you'd clothe every word that comes out of my mouth. Uh, in an anointing that penetrates hearts, that allows it to stick. Father, would you allow us to experience transformation till the soil of our heart, help it to receive the seed of your word. We want to be more like Christ. Transform us in these moments. Spirit, come. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We want to know you. We don't just want to listen to your word. We want to do it. So help us to apply it to our lives. And I pray this church would foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've talked to any couples, I think it's common to hear that the first year of marriage is the most difficult. Is that true for anybody in the room? Like your first year, not a single person. Okay, so the saying maybe doesn't ring true. I'll be honest with you. I've heard that the first year of marriage is the most difficult year, but that just wasn't the case for Abigail and I. We had a great first year. Loved every bit of it. You know, besides a few instances... Uh, We had a great first year of marriage. Now, because y'all are nosy and want to know my business, I'll bring you in on one of those few instances that maybe wasn't wasn't so great. Um, You know, I've essentially, at this point in time, I've just locked in my dream job. I had been a volunteer youth pastor at a small church in Highlandville, Missouri. I was a full-time student. I think I was taking maybe 18 college hours or something like that. I was working at Verizon selling phones and then driving from Highlandville to Springfield to hang out with Abigail. So life was just very, very busy, uh, just a little bit run ragged. And Destiny Church wants to bring me on as their full-time youth pastor at a Republic campus. And for me, the fact that someone would pay me to do that full-time and that I could be liberated to just pastor full-time was like, I, 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 I couldn't even wrap my head around it. So here I am stepping into this youth pastor job, so excited. And when we first got married, 
first got married, it was like God ripped us out of one season and placed us into a new one. We experienced a lot of change all at one time. So not only did I move from my parents' basement, don't tell anybody, okay, from my... <clears throat> From my parents' basement, Abigail left her apartment. She was living with her sister. We, we changed where we lived. I was at a small church in Highlandville, Missouri. Abigail had been there with me as well. We left our church. We were coming to Destiny Church. We were stepping into a new church. And now, you know, we're married. But not only that, I've changed jobs, but Abigail is also receiving a brand new job. So for me, I am loving life, love my job, and she's excited about her new job, but I don't think we foresaw how crazy being a nanny of eight kids was going to be. And this is Abigail's new job, a nanny of eight kids. So we're a few months in, half a year in, eight months in, I don't know, I have no idea. But the nanny and eight kids trying to partake in the youth ministry and be around for those kids too, Abigail is exhausted. Abigail's run ragged. And on the verge of a mental breakdown, okay? It is a difficult season. High expectations, trying to fulfill it, trying to do a great job. And she just comes in one day totally exhausted. And I think she's been exhausted for a few days, weeks, and I think to lighten up the mood, cheer her up a little bit, get her to smile. She jumps into the shower. I go into the kitchen. I fill up an ice cold cup of water. I sneak into the bathroom, creep up over the top of the shower curtain, pour this ice cold cup of water on Abigail. She's in a hot shower like she's going to be warm right away. And I start busting out laughing. She starts busting out sobbing. Yeah. Wrong idea. Wrong time. I've gotten better since then, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> and some of y'all are looking at me sideways like, how could you? You're sick, you idiot, right? The truth is, y'all, sometimes I'm a crappy person. And the fuller truth is sometimes you are too. We can look at this instant of Mark and Abigail and their newlywed stage, and we can laugh at Mark's bad decision, but the reality is, is many of us, if not all of us, have made some bad decisions that aren't something we'd laugh about. Some of y'all have made some bad decisions that have wounded the people you love most. Some of y'all have made some bad decisions that lost you the job you enjoyed so much. Some of y'all have made bad decisions that have crippled the view you have of yourself. To honor our Christmas theme, behind our lifted hands, our bright smiles, our polite talk, the reality is you and I, we might fool these church greeters sometimes, but we both know that you and I belong on the naughty list. As human beings, we have this propensity to make bad decisions, to satisfy the beckoning of our flesh, to feed this evil appetite our spirit is constantly at war with. Why? Why is it that sometimes we're crappy, that sometimes we make bad decisions? Genesis tells us the intention of man's heart is evil from you. That's why. The intention of man's heart 
is evil from his youth. I'm not sure if everybody's aware of this in the room or not, but you have a sin issue. And so does Pastor Mark. And the sin that lives in our hearts, Isaiah tells us it doesn't just cause us to make bad decisions, but it actually cuts us off from God. This sin that instinctively exists in all of humanity has made us unfit for the presence of God. So not only has the inclination to sin forced us to make bad decisions that hurt ourselves or hurt others in the process, not only has this inclination to sin made our wife cry in the shower, caused the deterioration of relationships, robbed us of opportunities, hurt ourselves or hurt others, but more than that, our sin separates us from our creator unless we lead a blameless, sinless life. Our destiny is that we'll be banished into the eternal fire that was prepared for Satan and his demons because the scriptures say, if you're not a child of God, then you're a child of Satan. Unless we become righteous children of God, the Bible tells us we're children of the devil. It's in there, I promise. Maybe you're sitting in your seat thinking, Pastor Mark, I'm not leading a blameless, sinless life. If, If we check the list, I'm on the naughty list. You're on the naughty list. I'm broken and messed up. Y'all are broken and messed up. But I got good news though. We serve a God who is so gracious, so kind, so wonderful. He looked at you and I while we were still sinners and said, I want to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And you just have to receive it by faith. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the very message of the cross. We don't get this good news without the cross, church. But as, as we read in the beginning of the message, there's this reference. I don't even know if some of y'all caught it. Maybe you have. You know, we're in the Bible Belt. Y'all have been in church for a while, so most of you are probably familiar with it. But, but, but at the end of this verse, there's this reference to a veil or a big curtain that when Jesus dies, it tears from top to bottom. In verse 51, it says, at that moment, Jesus giving up, releasing his spirit, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's a quick flash. If you're just in your private time, just reading through your Bible, you're just reading a full chapter a day or whatever, you might, might read through and not even catch it. Like it's just, just, really, just really quick in the scriptures. Just one of those kind of minute details, but I just really felt that there's some significance in that. And that the tearing of the veil is an illustration, one of the greatest illustrations and foretellings of what Jesus on the cross means and represents for you and I. I think it's vital that you and I, we recognize the importance, the significance of that moment. But if we're going to do that, we first have to understand what does the veil represent? What does the veil symbolize? Before Jesus was living his earthly life, but even while Jesus was on earth, the temple in Jerusalem is the epicenter of Jewish life, right? There's a huge temple in Jerusalem, and the temple is where animal sacrifices take place. Um, it, it's according to the law, of, you know, the, the law of Moses is followed faithfully in the temple. But as you enter into this temple, 
things become more and more sacred. Things become more and more exclusive. Things become less accessible to just your average everyday person. There's a designated area in the innermost part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And there's a couple of items in there, Old Testament items that represent the presence and person of God. But it's like in this little room that's closed off by this veil, this thick curtain. It's like 60 feet high, four inches thick, if my research is right. And in the Holy of Holies dwells the concentrated presence of God. But you just can't go walking in to the concentrated presence of God, right? This curtain separated the believers from from the presence simply because they weren't fit to be in his presence. The veil signified that man was separated from God by sin. So only once a year, only after jumping through sacred ceremonial hoops and loops, the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, but it had to be the high priest with a sacrifice. Once a year annually, he'd bring in a sacrifice and he'd laid in the Holy of Holies and this sacrifice would atone for the sins of all of Israel. Once a year would cover all the sins. Once a year, high priest present an annual sacrifice that would atone, pay for, cover all of Israel. So, so there's our context into what this veil is and, and what it encloses and, and what it encapsulates. So keep that in your back pocket. I want to go back to our verse, give you some context leading up to the cross, leading up to the crucifixion. Uh, we're going to blitz through kind of the last week of Jesus's life. Is that okay? Y'all with me? In the days and moments leading up to the cross, Jesus sits at a table with his disciples, what we might recognize as the Last Supper. And at this table, his disciple Peter says, Jesus, they've followed this man. They've walked around with this man. They've left everything they've owned, everything they've known, everything they've worked for, their own trades, what they've become. They've left their family to follow this man, Jesus. And at this table, Peter says, Jesus, I'll follow you to prison. I'll even follow you to death. I love you that much. My love is this thick. In the scriptures, we see Peter has already acknowledged Jesus. When Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Peter says, I think you're the Messiah. The disciples, the last three years spent with Jesus, they've been so deeply impacted by Jesus's love and his grace and his truth. He's been so consistent. It's so deeply compelling that they're willing to follow this man anywhere and everywhere. And from this moment, Jesus tells Judas, go do what you got to do. Satan enters Judas. He goes and betrays Jesus. Judas sells out Jesus. Jesus is arrested. Peter visits where Jesus is brought. Peter is accused of association with Jesus. And Jesus, who said, I'll never deny you, denies him three times. He's accused of association with Jesus. Peter, nervous, scared, broken, and sinful, makes some bad decisions, denies Jesus. Jesus is put on trial. 
Pilate, the governor, the governing official, claims he's innocent, but the people, influenced by the religious leaders of the day, they demand that he's crucified. Jesus is insulted, he's mocked, he's beaten, and he's tortured for public display. And then they nail him to a cross. Because this is how, if you're guilty, this is how criminals were dealt with. So let's look back to our key scripture here, Matthew 27. Verse 45, considering everything we've just learned, everything we've just talked about. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land. Jesus is hanging on the cross. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And then Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. And here again, we see it in verse 51. And at that moment, the curtain, the veil in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. But remember this veil encapsulated the presence of God. As Jesus is bleeding out on the cross, finishing, releasing his spirit across the way in the temple, the curtain that was supposed to enclose the concentrated presence of God is torn. And it's obvious that the death of Jesus is connected with the tearing of the veil in the temple. But what's the connection? The veil tearing at that moment of Jesus' death, it symbolizes that his death and his sacrifice was a sufficient atonement for sins. At, at that moment, no, no longer did it have to be a high priest who entered into the presence, but rather in this moment, Christ has not only become our high priest, he's become our sacrificial lamb as a sacrifice to God to atone for the sins of the world. So now when we're in Christ Jesus through faith, the Father doesn't even see my bad decision or your bad decision. When we're presented, when, we're, when, we're presented, when we get to the end of this thing, our sins already been dealt with in Christ Jesus through faith. He sees us as righteous because that's who we are in Jesus. That's what the cross has made way for. This is why we hang it up in our buildings and why we wear necklaces and dangle it. This is why we have an obsession with the cross. I love how the writer of Hebrews, he lays it out in chapter nine, makes it so plain, so clear. He says, this is why the tabernacle and everything in it some of these items from the tabernacle were, were in the Holy of Holies in the temple as well, which were copies, earthly copies of things in heaven had to be purified with the blood of animals. So he's talking about how things on earth had to be atoned for, sanctified, set apart with animals' blood on earth. Then he goes on to write, but the real things in heaven... The real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. The blood of Jesus was the only thing that was sufficient 
says, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on whose behalf? Our behalf. This is so good. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once and for all, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to cover my sin and your sin forever. This is the greatest news in the world. This is the greatest news there, there's ever been. This is the gospel. But if I'm being honest, and worship team, you can come. If I'm being honest, I've developed now, standing here today, a righteous confidence that Jesus on the cross, sacrificed, resurrected, is really enough for me. I've developed the confidence that the cross was sufficient. I'm not bound by guilt anymore. I'm not constantly swimming in shame. Jesus, when I put faith in him, has put his spirit in me. He's sanctified my life. He's given me freedom in multiple areas. He's sanctified me. He's made me whole. He's made me spotless and blameless. <clears throat> and I've just come to this place in my life, 28 in a couple of weeks here, where I know, I understand that I don't have it all together, but he loves me and he uses me for his kingdom work. And I don't get it, and I'm not good enough, but he does it. So I've just decided no more woe is me. Christ loves me. He loves me. And he loves you. And I'm just, I'm just going to rest in it. I've just come to this place in my life where I'm just going to believe it. Christ has made me whole. I'm a new creation in Christ. These aren't cute verses. These are true. He's changed my whole perspective. He's changed my whole swag. God loves me. God uses me. Yeah, I'm broken, but he has good things. So don't get it twisted. I'm still humbled and, and, and I'm still grateful. And, and, I, and sometimes I'm like, wow, like, man, you're still doing it. You're still, you're still allowing me to experience some of these things. But when the Lord in his grace uses me as a vessel for him, I'm just not so surprised anymore. He's been good to me. And I'm not gonna act like he hasn't. But here's what I can say, that hasn't always been the case for me. And maybe you find yourself in a season where that's not the case for you right now. Or maybe you felt like that. Because here's the deal, church, I remember the days I stood in circles of believers and didn't feel like I was worthy to be friends with the people I was standing with because I was so sinful. I remember the days I used to hide things from Abigail and felt like I had lies crawling around in my mind, constantly living out of shame. I remember it. I remember when I couldn't succeed academically and I felt like I was too stupid to ever do anything significant for God. That's real. I felt it. 
and I can't be the only one. How about you? Do you remember? Do you remember the time you lashed out on your kids the same way your parents lashed out on you? Do you remember the time you weren't faithful to the man or the woman you love most? Do you remember the shame and embarrassment and worthlessness you felt when you walked through the, the divorce? Do you remember how fake you felt when you knew how bound you were and nobody knew? Do you remember how fake you felt? But can I just remind somebody this morning, you ain't the only one familiar with the naughty list. The reality is we're all on the list. We can come in here and smile and high five and say praise God, but you're messed up and I'm messed up and you're broken and I'm broken, but we serve a God that has loved the world so much. He said, I'll do for you. Well, you can't do for yourself and I'll blot out your name with my blood. Some of us have been so exhausted trying to be good enough for God hiding the parts of us that aren't meeting his standard. And the Father is coming to us and he's calling to us and he's saying, daughter, why, why are you continuing to live in shame? I took that. Son, why are you living in guilt? I've paid for it. Receive it by faith. Because of the cross, you're free. Jesus, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You, you, don't, you don't know where I've been. You don't, you don't know where, I'm, where I am. And let me tell you, because I've been there and I've ran and I've been there and I've ran, but when the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you try to hide. He will continue knocking on your heart. And when there's an internal pursuit, it follows you everywhere you go. And I just wanted to encourage y'all, don't waste the cross this morning. Don't waste it. Either we believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, or we don't. But here's what I know, that faith in the finished work of the cross is sufficient to cover your sin. Faith in the finished work of the cross will transform every part of your life. So eyes closed, heads bowed. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want it, just put your hand in the air right now. Just want to say a simple prayer with you right now. Come on, have you sensed him knocking on the door of your heart? Would there be one in the room? Thanks. Come on, let's stand together for a moment here. Bible says, you know, it's it's not our words that accomplish it, it's belief in our heart. But this is the first step to, to confess and declare that Jesus is Lord. Bible says when we do it, you'll be saved. Would you repeat after me this morning? Jesus, we confess with our mouth that we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. Can I see that? Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us new. We're never going back. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what we're gonna do, church. We're gonna sing a song. And here's some of the opening words of the song. It says this, I've tried so hard to see it. It took me so long to believe it that you'd choose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it. You give what we don't deserve. 
You take the broken things and you raise them to glory. Come on, God loves you this morning. He's, he's using you. He's going to continue to use you. And he's made way for us to be in relationship with him forever because of the cross. So let's praise him for it. Amen. Come on, let's worship. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.